Hey, welcome to Parkview. Um, filming from Africa, sending it back to you today. They're like, why, why would you do that? Well, okay, I was supposed to be back this weekend. I've been off. I ran a convention, had a few weeks off, been doing a study break, and I was supposed to be on this weekend, and uh, we're starting the series, and I, I really wanted to do it. And then Rick Warren said, hey, could you come to Rwanda again? I was here last year. Could you come to Rwanda again? And, um, and, and I've got new guys coming and kind of tell them about what you guys are doing in Malawi. And uh, so, you know, I did. So I'm here. Uh, the other thing is uh, we, we're having the Malawi meetings. I, I, I flew in last night. Um, haven't had a lot of sleep, but we met this morning with some of the leaders from Malawi, and uh, it's just been incredible already what God is going to do. Can't wait to tell you all about it, and I will along the way. Um, I just want to, I just want to, I want to tell you why we're here, and it kind of all goes together. All right, uh, the idea in Rwanda that, that Saddleback has done is is this peace plan. Okay, it, it's about getting the local church empowered to do the work. The problem with missions in uh, in the past, problem with us going in someplace, um, we've we've given 500 billion dollars of aid to Africa over the uh, the last 20 or 30 years to try to help Africa. The problem is all we're doing is handing out. To them. And what, what we're trying to do through the peace plan and what we're dedicated to do in Malawi is not ride in and go do everything the way that, you know, that white people do, come in and dig our wells and do our stuff. We want to try to help them do what they can do because every person is resourced. Every person has something that they can do. All right. So what I want to talk to you about today is the fact that that's how Parkview works as well. I just got to admit to you, it's a, it's a brave new world that we live in. It's a brave new world that I live in, okay? It's kind of a weird place for me, honestly. My wife just retired, uh, as you know, from being the worship programming director, and she's trying to figure out what the next phase of ministry is going to be for her and this convention that has taken up the frontal lobe of my brain for the last two years is over, and it went great. I mean, I got to tell you, I don't think it could have gone any better. I, I want to say thank you for praying for the convention in Indianapolis. It went so well. Well, I'm so happy with how everything turned out. We had about 9,000 in attendance, um, you know, church leaders from all over the world. It really, really went great. People will ask me, you know, what were some of your favorite moments? And honestly, preaching was probably my favorite. Tuesday night went well. Um, you're preaching to your peers, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tricky deal, and, and it went really well. I feel like the Holy Spirit was there. Um, you know, listening to people laugh at Tim Hawkins uh, was one of my favorite moments. <clears throat> and then there was this little gym, okay? I'll show you this picture. Um, I had head, Brian Head Welsh from Corn, you know, come and, and speak. And, and my daughter was on the worship team, and she's pregnant. And so I decided, I don't know, you know, sometimes I just do ADD things. So as he, as he was leaving, or as she was leaving and he was coming up, I said, hey, you know, could you lay hands on my grandchild? So um, I, I said, I, I want to exercise the British rock out of my grandchild because, you know, this grandchild's dad is from Britain. So I, I didn't want this kid to be like a Beatles fan or something. So I asked Head to lay hands on her. Just one of the weird moments that happened. Um, a lot of great things. So I've also written this book and I have this 40 Days of Mission campaign that we are going to do starting in the end of September. And uh, it's going really, really great. We got good traction with the pilot churches that are, that are working on it. Um, Rick Warren and the Saddleback team have done a great job of helping me promote it. We've got you know, pilot churches ready to go. But all summer I've been working on sermons, and, and I'm even doing that here, helping the other churches to be ready. 
okay? Um, and, and so I came straight from that into Africa because they, they wanted to have us tell people about Malawi, okay? So what it feels like to me is when I get back from this trip and um, I get the rest of the life on mission stuff done, is that kind of a lot of the stuff that's been at the beginning of my brain, the stuff that's been on the front burners is going to be kind of behind me. And, and so what is the, you know, what is the future going to hold for us? What is that going to look like? And also in, uh, in January, my wife and I, the Harlows, will celebrate 25 years of, of ministry at Parkview. Um, actually, it was the Tenley Park Church of Christ. Just the three of us, just uh, Rachel and me and Denise. Here's the picture that they put in the newspaper to advertise our new pastor coming. Um, pretty great, isn't it? I know you're laughing. Um, this little toddler here is having a baby in two months. That's the way it is, right? Okay. So what I'm saying is that, you know, I'm kind of looking back and I'm also looking forward. I mean, what, what is the future going to be about? I mean, I'm a long way from retiring if I ever retire. And I've never been more excited about Parkview on every angle, except for, you know, our professional baseball teams. I'm, I'm excited about what's getting ready to happen and what's going on. And I love the graphic for the series that we've got, you know, this, this driven thing. Uh, welcome to the family, okay? That, that's what we're going to talk about for three weeks. And I want you to understand how, as, as we're going into Rwanda and Malawi and helping empower the local people to do ministry, how you're a part of that at Parkview, all right? Some of you are a part of the original family from way back in the day. I mean, you know, your picture is in the first part of that minivan on that sticker. Okay? But a lot of you are way, way out to the right on, on that sticker. I mean, you came, you know, a, a lot later than 25 years ago. And in 25 years, you need to understand if you're new, we've grown from an average size of 150 people to a, a, a weekend average of over 7,000, right? We've been one of the fastest growing churches in the country. Why? Um, because we're driven. Driven by, as Rick Warren would say, a great commitment to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, all right? In case you don't know, the Great Commission is that we go, we make disciples of all nations, and we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, Jesus said, and I'm with you always. That's the Great Commission. The Great Commandment is, Jesus said, when asked, what are the Great Commandment? Jesus said, there's two. Number one is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two is love your neighbor as yourself. It's those two things that, that drive us, okay? And we're driven by those things because those are our priority. And out of those two passages, we get the five purposes of the church that you've probably read already in Rick's Purpose Driven Church book or Purpose Driven Life book, one of those two. Worship is uh, loving the Lord with all your heart. Ministry is loving your neighbor as yourself. Evangelism is going and make disciples. Fellowship is loving your neighbor. Discipleship is teaching them to obey. So the question I get a lot of times and the question I want to address as we come back in to this ministry season is why do we need to keep doing all of this stuff? Why do we need to keep growing? I mean, for crying out loud, Tim, how big of a minivan do we need? Right. It's a question that I had to answer a lot back in the 90s. You know, when we were a 40 year old church and we were transitioning and trying to figure out how to do things, um, I had to answer that question a lot. Why, why should we relocate? Why do we need to add a service and add a service and add a service and add a campus? Why do we need to do those things? Well, let me explain. Okay? Some of your homes have, had, had the same, have had been the same way. You were comfortable with a, a couple of kids, you know, right? You thought you were done. And then one day you wake up, right? And your wife is throwing up 
and asking you for saltines in the background, and you're like, oh man, I gotta have a conversation with my urologist. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was not planning on uh, having this baby. You were comfortable with the way things were, and the thought of more mouths to feed, more college funds, you know, it just wasn't on your radar, okay? You'd like the, like the guy who had triplets and he named them Eeny, Meeny, Miny because he wasn't going to have no mo, okay? With me? Church is, the, church is the same way. We liked our programs and, and the places where we sat and we liked the things that made us comfortable. You know, I don't want to come to church on Sunday night for crying out loud, Tim. I don't want to have to sit in the lobby for Christmas Eve. I don't want to serve or give, you know. I'm, I'm good. My family's good. And I'm guessing that most of you, um, you know, at one time or another are going to feel that way or you feel that way. Right? Here's the deal that I know about hopefully all of you that had a surprise baby at home. Okay? You, you, you realize that they were a huge blessing from God, and you can't imagine life without them. And, and here's what I want you to understand. If you've come in the last 20 years or the last 15 years or the last 10 years, um, that's what you are to us. Most of you are uh-oh babies for us. We did not plan on having a campus at Lockport. We did not plan on having five weekend services. We only built a 600-seat auditorium when we moved over here 12 years ago, right? So turn to your neighbor and say, uh-oh, because that's what they are. Here's the deal. Why do we need to keep growing? Why are you still driven? Why is that crow in that tree? Thank you. Here's the deal. Best we can figure it. There are 4 million people within a 30-minute drive time of one of our campuses. And at least three-fourths of them are not a part of God's family. They aren't in any church. Most of them don't have anything to do with the great commandment to love God. That means, just to use Jesus' analogy, that the fields are white to the harvest. Our minivan is big enough mentality just doesn't work. God wants everybody home. The Bible says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, like some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants everybody to be a part of his family. That's why the minivan has to keep getting bigger. And I know some of you have been skeptical about a big church because you think, you know, how could you monitor a big church? You think big churches look something like this. The truth is, um, largeness does breed a lot of problems, but um, you know, a lot of you came from big families. My wife's dad is the youngest of seven brothers, and they were healthy. I'm glad for all of them. Uh, many of you came from good, large Catholic families. My son-in-law's dad is one of 11 kids, and they're pretty screwed up, but I don't think it's because there was a lot of them. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Hey, the truth is the family started, our church family started in the very beginning in Acts 2 with 3,000 people, and it took off from there because good news is contagious. Just l l let me take you through this. Can I do this? All right, I'm in Rwanda. I can't really hear you, but thank you, okay? Here's, the, here's what I want to take you through. In the very beginning, Peter stood up in Acts 1.15, and the number of believers was around 120 people, all right? That's where the church started. Day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given, things blew up. Those who accepted the message and were baptized, the Bible says in Acts 2, there were 3,000, all right? 3120, that's what the church is at this point. Pretty good-sized church. I love Rick's line. He says, people say, we want to be a New Testament church. You're not a New Testament church until you have at least 3,000 people, because that's how many they started with, all right? So we keep going. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
That means at least 365 people are being added to the church every year because, you know, the good news is good news. And keep going. Acts 4 says, those who heard the message and believed numbered to be the men about 5,000. So if you have 5,000 men, you got at least 10,000 women, right? Because the ladies are way more spiritual. Hey, hey, were you here last weekend? That was a choco move. The ladies are way more spiritual. That's an amen move, okay? Thank you, ladies. The better, okay? So you're talking about a gigachurch here now. This is the term they're using for churches over 10,000 now. Gigachurch, right? By Acts 4.4, it's a gigachurch. And you get to Acts 6, and it says, In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. That word means multiplying. That means it's not just addition now, it's multiplication. And you can see that this is just snowballing. And scholars tell us that by the time we get to Acts 21, we're at about 25 years later than the day of Pentecost. This is really fascinating for me. Again, 25 years in January for me here. Here's what it says in Acts 21, probably, you know, like somewhere around Peter's 25th anniversary. When they heard this, they praised God and said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed. That word for thousands is myrios in the Greek, and it literally means tens of thousands of people. Tens of thousands of people have believed by this time in the city of Jerusalem. Many Bible scholars believe that by the time you get to, I mean, Peter was like the pastor of the first church of Jerusalem, right? So, so by the time you get to 25th anniversary of Peter, there may have been 100,000 members in this church. Uh, so if, if, if we're going to be a New Testament church, i got a lot of work to do this fall if we're going to have 100,000 people. And the interesting thing is Jerusalem only had 200,000 people in it. Why should that not surprise me? Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And if Jesus builds the church, it's going to grow. If it's healthy, it's going to grow. So at Parkview, we take our example again from the first church. Uh, I know a lot of you came from a lot of different denominations, and there are a lot of other ways of doing it. But, you know, I, I use this illustration a lot. If you want pure water, the, the place the water is the purest is at the source of the spring. So for us, the book of Acts is the source of the spring. And if it worked back then, I want to go back there. It doesn't mean we're not going to use air conditioning and video and all those other kinds of things. It just means we're going to go back and take our model from the book of Acts. I love the story of the guy who was busted for selling fountain of youth pills. And the prosecutor said, you know, Judge, uh, this is not his first offense. You've got to throw the book at him because he was also arrested for this back in 1980, in 1936, 1893, and 1829. Hey, if it works... So I've been hanging around Saddleback too much, probably in Rick, and um, I decided to do something I've really never done before. Rick's going to be proud of me, but um, I made an acronym out of Parkview, okay? So the rest of this sermon is going to be the P-A-R-K, and next week I'm going to get to the V-I-E-W, and I'm going to try to take you through the book of Acts and help you to understand what it is that we're trying to do as a church. And I think it's fun, and if you don't like it, I'm 4,000 miles away, I don't really care. All right, so Park, let's, let's, let's start right there. We start with a P, and um, I think that you have to start with powered by the Holy Spirit. The power, where'd it come from? I mean, I used to watch Home Improvement, you know, more power. Ah, 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 that's, that's what I always want. Every guy wants that. You can never have too much power. I don't believe that. But here's what God promises to the church in the very beginning. He says, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for my gift that the, that the Father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. Is John baptized you with water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you will receive, 
What's that word? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when they waited, what happened? They got power. I'm not good at waiting, but there are two ways that you can do church. And this is what I've learned in my days of ministry. You can do it in the power of the Spirit or you can do it in your own power. I've already seen in less than 24 hours in Rwanda, I have already seen God do amazing things. For example, last weekend I, got a, I, I talked to a guy who, uh, whose niece and nephew-in-law, I think is how it works, are in Rwanda working with clean water. And I said, oh, well, maybe we should you know, connect with them. And so I emailed them and she got an email back. And it turns out, and the long story short, we're meeting at the church that she goes to. And uh, there are clean water people here from, from Saddleback. And so, you know, hopefully later today or tomorrow, we're going to connect those two things together. I can't do that. God does that. I mean, I'm here meeting with Malawi meters. We had, uh, leaders. We had this meeting this morning that was just, uh, I mean, there weren't tongues of fire that sat on our heads, but God was doing amazing stuff. And it's about the power. You can go in God's power. You can live in God's power or you can try to do it on your own. I just want to assure you that nothing that's gone on here at Parkview has been because I'm an awesome pastor. Okay. Nothing that's gone on here has been because of our wonderful staff or because, you know, we got lucky. It's all been the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a story in the Old Testament I love that the Israelites, you know, God tells the Israelites, okay, it's time to go into the land of Canaan. And they got scared and they said, oh, we're not doing it. And God got mad at them and said, well, you're going to wander the desert for 40 years. And what we don't talk about very much is that right then they all went, oh, you're right. We should go. And the Bible says that they, they went in their own presumption. Here's Numbers 14. It says, in their own presumption, they went towards the high country. Though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, which represented the power, moved from the camp. And the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country, listen to this, came and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. Isn't that just an awesome phrase? They got beat down all the way to Hormah. It sounds like something that my mom from Arkansas would say, you know. Don't you sass me, boy. I'll beat you all the way down to Hormah. That's what happened to them when they went in their own power. Then they waited 40 years for God's power to come back when he was ready to move them. And they marched around the walls of Jericho and the walls just fell down. Power of God equals walls fall down. My own power equals beat to Hormah. That's why the most important thing that you can do as a part of this church is pray. That that could be a whole nother P for you, but it's the same thing. Pray for the power. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. And the most important thing we can do as leadership is to discern the Spirit and not get ahead or behind the Spirit. I got to tell you, if you were here last week, Choco was very complimentary. Choco de Jesus spoke for us. Very complimentary of our place last weekend. All of our summer guests were. They, they all said they could feel the Spirit of God in this place. Okay? But it really meant a lot from Choco because he's Pentecostal. You know? and those guys know the Spirit. You know? He's not some Baptist. He's Assembly of God. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so I'm glad to know that they feel it here and I do. And people say that all the time. And what God has done so far for Parkview with all the things that have happened has just been amazing. And again, it's not because of me. It's not because we're that good. When I look back on this 25-year journey, it blows my mind. Watch what happens in the book of Acts. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I love this part. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Sometimes people say that about us, Parkview, but it's not. It's just a good dose of the Holy Spirit. P is for power. A is for all in. All in. I want you to notice the words everyone and all in this classic description of the first church from Acts 2. Listen, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayer. And everyone, see that, was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles because of the power. And all, there's our A, all the believers were together and had everything in common and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they worked in the Holy Spirit's power, but they did it together. They were all in. Ten times in the first five chapters of Acts, they were unified, it says. God can overlook a lack of facilities or a lack of program or even a lack of leadership, but he can't look past disharmony. That's one of the big goals for us as we go into Malawi is how do we unify the churches together? Because when the, when the government and everybody else sees us working together, it gives us power. They were all in. It's what destroys more churches than anything else. One person gets upset, and, and sadly, there's disunity, and everything goes away. And listen, as we go on, Acts 4, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. There's the unity thing again. No one claimed any of his possessions as his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and grace was with them all. There were no needy persons among them. That could probably be one of the greatest epitaphs a church ever had. Could you imagine if people could say that about any church? No needy people. I mean, people read this and they say, that sounds like communism. No, it's not, it's not communism. It's what Christianity is supposed to be about. Communism is, I'm going to take what's yours and I'm going to take it for me. Christianity is, I have something and I'm going to give it to you. There's a big difference. This was not forced on anybody. People were just generous because they were like Christ, because they were all in. And God blesses an all-in church. We are never more like God than when we give, when we give all. God loved the world so much that he gave it all. He gave his son. Jesus gave it all. All to him I owe, the old hymn used to say. That, that's what we're talking about. And what are the results of all in? The Lord added to their number daily, those who are being saved. Because God is going to bless an all-in church. I mean, if you're God, who, who, what kind of a church do you want your kids in? A selfish one? No. Um, I, I'm just proud of you. I mean, for example, pack the backpack. We did 522 backpacks. Did you know that? I mean, I didn't even know what was going on. We just got this thing together, and, and we're helping kids get started with school. It's awesome. All in. We need you. We need you this fall. R is for risk. You know, there's only, always going to be a risk. I mean, you know, the, the problem is people try to not have risk in their life and it just never works. Do you know that a half a million people enter the emergency room every year for injuries sustained while getting out of bed? Does that blow your mind? Just getting out of bed is, is risky enough that a half a million people go to the emergency room. Uh, another 135,000 people a year are seriously injured while taking a shower. This is this. 30,000 people a year are injured by the toilet. I, I'm not even exactly sure. How, how do you get injured by a toilet? 
Husband leaves his seat up, the wife falls in in the middle of the night. I don't know, I don't know what it is, but apparently even toilets are risky. And you know we worry about, you know, plane crashes and car wrecks, but the truth is eight out of 10 accidents happen close to home. I heard that statistic and I moved, you know, can't be too careful. One of the problems with most churches is that they become risk averse. They become afraid. They usually start out with a group of people who are willing to take chances and go start a church and mortgage their homes to get a loan to pay for property in a building and they completely rely on God in complete faith. And then they start playing prevent defense, okay? It's, it's, it's football season, right? I can do this. You know what I'm talking about. And prevent defense is when a team gets ahead and instead of doing the things that help them to get ahead in the first place, they, 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 they kick back and they just try to not lose, Right? And, you know, so in, instead they send their safeties back to prevent a touchdown instead of stopping them at the line. Or if they're a throwing team with a quarterback with a great arm, they start running the ball up the middle. And I don't know what the stats are, but everybody knows it's a really bad idea when you start playing prevent defense. I want to tell you something. Parkview Christian Church will never play prevent defense. Thank you. We never will. Why do you think I'm in Rwanda? Prevent defense is not me sending you a video from Africa. What if some people are new this week and they don't like it and they don't come back? What if it doesn't work and Bill Brown has to preach? You know he's thinking about that right now, right? The first church didn't play prevent defense. When the authorities started coming down on them, they didn't run and hide. They went to prison. That just made them more determined. You get to Acts 5, the apostles are jailed for preaching about Jesus. And then an angel breaks them out and tells them to get back out there and keep preaching. And the next day, what do they do? They went out and kept preaching. I love Acts 5, 25. It says, then someone came and said, look, the men you are put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. By the time we get to Acts 7, the first one of them is martyred, killed for his faith. Don't you think that would have shut it down? Isn't it time for some prevent defense now? No, no, it's not. On that great day, the Bible says, persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. And Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Well, that's got to shut it down, right? Acts 8, 4, those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Let me ask you something. Have you been playing prevent defense with your faith? Yeah, I used to be excited about Jesus. I used to be excited about things. Is it time to stand in the gap like Choco was talking about last week? I mean, let me just give you one crazy idea. We have this ministry to uh, sex industry workers, the strippers. It's called Eve's Angels. It meets on um, Thursday nights, every other Thursday night, obviously for women to go into the strip clubs to, to minister to them. And uh, I just want to tell you about it because on August 28th will be our next meeting, 7 o'clock, Orland campus. Maybe it's time for you to quit playing prevent defense and, and come together for a Bible study and go to a place that's really uncomfortable for, uh, uncomfortable for you and try to reach out to somebody. I don't, I don't know what it might be. I, I, don't, I don't know what God's calling you to. And please don't wait around for one of our ministries to go do it. Whatever it is that's prevent defense in your life that you've been doing, it's time for you to get back out there, stop running the ball, throw it. It may get intercepted, but go do something. Parkview's always gonna be that. R is for risky. So powered by the Holy Spirit, all in, R is for risky. K, K is kinda hard, okay? I thought about kleptomania, 
Um, you know, because we got Acts 5 in there where Ananias and Sapphira stole money from God. Um, but that doesn't work. I, I always think of John Lovitz and his character, the pathological liar, when I think about Acts 5. You know, oh, yeah, we gave all the money to God. That's the ticket. That, that's in there in Acts 5. There's some problems. I want you to understand that along the way. There's never going to be a perfect church. But I decided the K had to go for koinonia. And I know it's a Greek word and you don't understand it, but it's K, so it works. And it's a beautiful word because it's the Greek word for fellowship. It means this group of strangers became a family. Koinonia means they were committed to each other like we are to Jesus Christ, deeper than all in. You can be committed to a group and not really love them. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You've got to have family for koinonia. And that's when the church becomes a family. Paul says in Ephesians 2, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. You're citizens with God's people and members of God's household. This is what Parkview is committed to being. You know, there's a show in the 80s called Cheers, and the theme song said, making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you just want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. That's family. That's koinonia. And that's the church in the book of Acts. That's what we want in Parkview. Even if you don't believe in Jesus yet, we welcome you and we hope you feel like it's family. And along the way, we're going to hope for you and pray for you to find Jesus because everything goes back to him. But listen to how it went for Koinonia. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple court and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This speaks to Koinonia, but it also speaks to strategy. Now, how could a church be 100,000 people where everybody knows your name, right? Twofold ministry in the temple courts and from house to house. They would stand in the temple courts in Jerusalem. I've been there. You could get about 50,000 people standing around, right? It's like the picture of the lawn of the White House, you know, with a big crowd. They could have a 9 o'clock service, an 11 o'clock service, and have 100,000 people standing. And we might resort to that. I don't know how it's going to work. But, but that's not where everybody knows your name. They met from house to house in small groups. Rick Warren says four advantages to meeting in small groups. Infinitely expandable, right? Unlimited geographically. It can go all over. We've had groups from Parkview in Iraq, Afghanistan, Ireland. We can have them all over. It's good stewardship is number three. You don't have to build space. Many of us grew up thinking, oh, we have to have more space for everybody to meet. That's not true. Your house is already a church. Don't pull that on the IRS, but it already is. It works out great. And number four, it promotes relationships. Family should happen in homes. So listen, as we get ready for Life on Mission this fall, we're going to ask you to host. You don't have to host people you don't know, but we're going to ask you to host a group and pop in a DVD, which would be me teaching and do this together in your home. We need you to do that. We need you to create koinonia in your own home. There are really two ways I want to help you to have an opportunity to respond to being part of family. One of them is the all-in thing. One, one of them is about, is about how you need to just be involved, okay? Just try serving. We did the, we're doing the just try it thing. Just try being an usher, doing something, getting involved, or, or even just try going and doing something with your faith in your neighborhood. We're going to talk about that during Life on Mission. You can't just be sitting there. You can't just be a, a bystander. You can't be a bench sitter. You need to be involved if you're a part of part for you. We don't have room for a bunch of people to just hang out, right? We need you to be involved in your faith. That, that's what we need. And the other one is to host a small group. 
Um, you're going to hear an awesome John Legend song after this is over. And it, it's incredible because I don't, I don't think John Legend is a believer. Maybe he is. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The song represents the fact that we all know that we need to do something about saving the world. Uh, that's why I'm in Africa. Christians have always led the way in that. And Parkview is going to lead the way in that. No prevent defense here. But, but when we come to Africa, we're not going to solve their problems. We're going to help them we're going to empower them. And when we come back to Parkview, we're going to empower you because you are the one who God called to be a part of this family. And if you're going to be a part of this family, we need you. And if you're out there to stand in the gap, to jump in, play some offense, go out for a long pass, host a group, get involved, join the family, right? It's time. I love the story of the fighter pilot for the Chinese back in the 30s when Japan was determined to take over China. His name was Art Chen. I love the story. On one occasion, Art Chen took on three Japanese fighters all by himself. He shot one down before he ran out of ammunition, and he deliberately rammed the second Japanese plane with his plane and then was able to bail out. And he landed close to the wreckage of his plane and salvaged one of the machine guns, which he carried eight miles back to the airfield, a big heavy machine gun. And we're talking about the 30s, right? He presented the heavy gun to his commanding officer, and according to the story, Chen said, Sir, can I have another plane for my gun? Let me hear you say, th those are the kind of people that we're looking for. That's the, that's the spirit that we need in Rwanda. It's the spirit we need in Malawi. It's the spirit we need wherever we go, but it's the spirit that has to start with us at Parkview. We need you. Let me pray for us. God, I, um, I thank you that you brought me here so I could see your power. Sometimes I just need a reminder that you are God and you are in charge. And uh, if, if I just take a risk and get on a plane and go figure out what you're doing, you will always show me. I'm so, I'm so humbled by what you're doing over here. And I know Rick and the Saddleback team is, is humbled to see the things that are going on. And I just pray as we launch into Malawi, that you'll help us to, to know how to follow you. And I thank you for the ways that's already happening. But the Lord, most importantly, it's got to start in our own home with our own family. We are driven. We are driven to take the gospel to the people around the world. But we are going to start in Jerusalem. And I want to pray that you will help us, each and every person listening, to understand that they are a part of that mission. In Jesus' name I pray.